0: Hello, everyone. My name is Tamini Farah. I'm a psychotherapist and a dancer. We're starting a new podcast series called Tamini in Motion. We're going to be exploring different ways of dealing with trauma through movement, dance, touch, all sorts of energy work. We're going to be interviewing various people who have expertise in in different fields, as well as speaking with people about their stories of resilience and great comebacks. Please join us this week, August 7th, for our first episode. My podcast today is about a great transition and uncovering of an authentic voice. We're going to be speaking with Jamie LeFay, who I've known for over 20 years. Jamie has most recently transitioned from a woman to a man and has a, a very interesting story that I thought we could all be inspired and learn from. So Jamie's going to speak a little bit now about herself and introduce herself to us.
1: Hi Jamie. Hi Tamini. Uh, so grateful to be here. Uh, listened to your first podcast and really excited to be um, a part of this journey and, you know, undertaking that um, you're doing. And so to introduce myself a little bit, again, my name is Jamie LaFey. I am 29 years old. Uh, Currently, I'm working at the Behavioral Health Network as an in-school clinician and also an outpatient clinician. I graduated with my master's in mental health counseling last May in 2019. Uh, Knew I wanted to be a clinician, a therapist for a long time Um, and so excited to finally have taken those steps in my career and within, you know, speaking of steps um, and furthering yourself, I'm really excited to talk about uh, my transition here as well. Um, Like Tamini, like you said, we've known each other for a very long time and there are pieces of this story that are actually really ingrained and include your daughter, Maddie, quite a bit because we have been, you know, best friends for quite some time. Um, And so to give not too much feedback, um, but to go back too far. But my transition did start within the last four months I started testosterone right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, Those don't correlate in any way because thinking of my transition and struggling with my identity, it goes back much further than that. But to take a step back for a second, my transition did start in March of 2020. And so I've been on testosterone now for four months. And I also had top surgery in um, June of 2020, which has really made uh, a great impact on what I would call my, my mental health and my uh, level of confidence. So that's a little bit about me. Um, Jamie, kind of let me we're
0: Let me ask you something. Um, when I listen to you, I'm, I'm so curious about, when you became aware that you were struggling with your gender identity?
1: Yeah, the long story, right, would be forever, for as long as I can remember. It definitely came in waves, I would say. When I was younger, I think a lot of people on the streets probably identified me as a young boy. I ran around with Uh, my male neighbors all the time, I never had a shirt on, I wore boys' clothes, I shopped in, you know, like, the young boys' section of stores. Um, and then that kind of came in, like I was saying, in waves. So I did that when I was younger, and I could, right? Because puberty hadn't happened and things didn't get in the way. And I can vividly remember my neighbor's parents saying, you know, Jamie, you're not going to be able to do this for forever. Like you're not going to be able to wear a boy's bathing suit. You're not going to be able to run around without a shirt on. And young me was like, what are you talking about? Like, of course I will. This is who I am. Hmm. Um, And how uh, do you remember how
0: old you you were when you had those types of thoughts?
1: I mean, probably, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. Mm Uh, And reflecting back, I can, you know, probably assume that my mom was having these conversations with the other parents of like, you know, how do we kind of help Jamie come to terms with like that? Yeah, this isn't something that, you know, at the time using female pronouns that she's not going to be able to do forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when puberty came, that was like a really difficult time for me. Um, because I couldn't do those things anymore. I couldn't walk around without a shirt on, you know, my body was changing in ways that made me, you know, really uncomfortable. And, you know, I just, I didn't have the language, which I think is a huge obstacle in a lot of people's lives. But, you know, specifically for me, where we grew up, the family I grew up in, um, just like the town that there just wasn't that language for, or support or recognition could have been the times too. maybe not just the neighborhood, but of the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. I didn't know that those things were an option, but I can also reflect, especially in puberty, recognizing myself on, you know, like they would have like Dr. Phil or Ellen, or like on those shows would have, you know, young people who were transitioning and it was it started to be a thing and it was maybe something that only i recognized because i saw that reflection of myself on tv and maybe other people weren't as honed in that's
0: a really good Um, point yes
1: but that made a great impact on me but i still didn't have the language it still felt out of reach it felt like something that that person on TV could do, but I was never going to be able to do it. You know, I could see myself, but it was like the dangling carrot is always what I like to say. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's right there in front of you, but no matter how fast you run and how far you reach, you're not going to be able to get it is how I felt in puberty. Um, and that made me feel just like really stuck. And I had a difficult uh, really difficult time in puberty. And then, you know, I kind of just came to terms with like, that's how things were going to be. I kind of coasted through high school. I didn't have any, you know, major issues. Um, per se, I did start going to therapy and I, you know, was nervous to go in the beginning and remember probably the first thing that I said after some you know pushing and getting to know my counselor a little bit was that you know the first thing I said was that my life would just be easier if I was a boy and you know then we kind of were able to talk about that like why do you think that what's going on there um, Jamie I, I want to difficult. stop
0: you for a minute I think that sure. is a really important sentence for mm-hmm. people to hear because it's so simple but so pure and so honest um, Additionally, I wanted to make a comment about the age that you started to feel very uncomfortable. In, in the therapy world, we say that girls start to lie about who they are right around the age of 11. And that sounds like it coincides with what was happening for you. So I, I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, you know, lie about all, all sorts of things. This happened to mm-hmm. have been something that was major for you that you had to cover up. But um, yeah, continue with your ther- about your therapist and you.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think, I really do think that going to therapy, because I probably went when I was 12, 13, maybe. I think it was probably eighth grade. Um, And I think it's also a big reason why I wanted to be a therapist. It's really, I think, what pushed me. I had always kind of been somebody who was interested in others' lives and wanted to help Mm -hmm. and all of those things. But when I went to therapy and I got that off my chest for the first time, like you said, just such a pure statement of, this is what would make my life easier. Mm -hmm. This is what I want. Um, And I was just so... Validated. I did, you know. I don't. I can't remember what she said to me after that. I know that we just started talking about that, um, a little more and digging deeper into it. But I know that in that moment and in that space, I felt so heard mm, and so understood.
0: That's wonderful. That's you know. I want to put a little plug in here for therapy because it it almost doesn't matter what she said. It's what you said that really yeah. mattered in that moment.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in school, when I was getting my master's in mental health counseling, you know, it's a small cohort. We all get very involved with each other. And that was something that we recognized. We were doing an exercise and we were reflecting on, you know, why we went into this program. And three out of the four people in there said, I had a therapist at a really critical point in my life. And I want to give that to other people. And the other interesting thing that happened was the one other person was like, I had a terrible experience. I had a really difficult time finding a good therapist. And so I know I want to be a good therapist for other people. Um, So I think that's like really critical of, you know, in the role of a psychotherapist, like you said, it doesn't matter what you say per se. It matters creating a space for your client to be able to say anything. Exactly, um, Jamie.
0: That's that's and it's also so interesting to hear some people in your program wanted to create a more corrective experience for their clients, whereas yeah. other people wanted to give back something that they got out of therapy. So that's that's a interesting like juxtaposition of why people enter into the field.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, again, maybe reverting back a little bit to, you know, my transition and like I was saying, the waves. So therapy really helped. But another obstacle that I came across was, again, like the language and where I grew up and my family, which I love and care about my family very much. And I'm grateful for all of the opportunities that being born into that family has given me. And I'm aware of that, the privilege that I have because of it. Mm But there were also difficult aspects about being in my family, you know, not knowing the language. My parents both, you know, have high school educations, but it didn't go further than that. My siblings and I are the first generation to go to college. I'm the first one in my immediate family to have a master's degree. And I think a lot can be said about what is learned about yourself and other people and you know how you interact with other people and where you fit in society when you go to college you learn a lot more from the space than being in the classroom
0: Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so that was really a transformative time for you
1: yeah so when i got into college was really the first time that i had ever like really met somebody who identified as lgbtq and ithaca new york ithaca college is a great place to be if you are figuring out or solid in your, you know, sexual or gender identity. It's a great safe place to be. So I always like to think of Ithaca as like a safe haven, just like that first therapy room was. Ithaca was a safe space for me to explore myself a little bit more and my identity and who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it was easy. You know, I think that there's a lot of things, obstacles to overcome, even when you're doing something that's going to make you happier. Because there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of anxiety, so I did in college come out as a lesbian because I had finally gotten to this place where I was like, you know, I know that I've driven around and I've lived in this body where for so long I've said, wow, if I was a boy, I'd be really attracted to her, or if I was a boy, that's the kind of person that, like, that's the kind of woman that I would want to date. And I got to Ithaca where women were dating women, and I had never really seen that. And so I said, oh, th- that could be, that could be me. That could be me. Um, and so I did. I identified as a lesbian, I dated women, um, and I really did feel more confident in myself. I changed the way that I dressed because some women can dress more androgynously or go back to wearing, reverting to boys clothing, men's clothing, things like that, um, where I was like, oh this could be it for me. And so I coasted there for a while and I would say that I was happy. Some of those obstacles came in with having to come out to my family, my friends, not knowing how people would react, Um, you know, distancing myself from people that I had really passionate, like, good relationships with, which was tough, because some of it was fear um, of rejection, like that they would reject me. Some of it was, you know, fear that, um, you know, like something would happen, they would feel uncomfortable, they wouldn't want to be around me, just like all of those aspects of rejection. so sometimes I created divides where there didn't need to be, um, which is, you know, again, going back to kind of the, those obstacles that you face mm-hmm. and those things that you have to overcome. Um, and so I said, yep, came out. It didn't go super well with my family, um, a lot more therapy and figuring things out. Um, Jamie, I want after... I want to
0: interrupt you for 1 minute. I want to ask you sure. something. Um, would you say, you know, everyone goes through kind of a broken open moment when they look back um when they've had something huge in their life. Would you say that your college experience was that for you?
1: I would. Yeah. Mhm. I definitely would. I mean, I think it like um You know it was it was things were cracked open it was like raw and it was difficult but it was you know definitely it shaped my life Mm -hmm. my college experience absolutely shaped my life it's where yeah yeah, it, it set it set me up um both for I think my career and my passions for you know, social justice issues and different things like that, but also in terms of, like, my identity. Um, Personally, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just after college, again, there was just, like, these ebbs and flows as I, I lived in different places. I, you know, I lived in New York City. I lived in Boston. I was meeting all of these different people. I was getting involved in the LGBTQ community. And again, like, as I continued to meet people, I got new vocabulary. I started to understand different dynamics of gender. I started exploring those things at first is what I thought of just like an interest, you know, like, and then I was like, why does this interest me so much? Mm -hmm. Why do I have such a hard time with this binary, the gender binary? You know, I don't fit the typical role or expectation of what a woman is. So does that mean that I'm a woman, you know? And what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man?
0: You know, Jamie, I think this is, again, I'm gonna stop you because for people not of your generation or people who are not as open-minded, this is a huge point of confusion for many people mm-hmm. about what is the bi- that binary term mean and what, what does that even mean? You're either one thing or you're another thing. That's what a lot of people mm-hmm. think. Um, can you just explain that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give a great resource too. Um, the gender unicorn, you can just you can google mm-hmm. it um, is a great resource for understanding the difference between, like sexuality and gender identity and gender expression, because all of those things are different, mm-hmm. right? So sexual identity is who you are sexually attracted to. Are you a woman? Attracted to women. So you're a lesbian. If you're a man, attracted to men, you know, etc. Gender expression has nothing to do with your gender identity at times, right? It's just specifically on the outside, how you're portraying yourself to the world, how you're expressing your gender. Are you wearing skirts that are feminine? Are you wearing sneakers that are masculine? But doesn't necessarily speak to one's gender identity. And gender identity would be how you see yourself, how you feel inside. Um, Do you feel like a woman? What does it mean to feel like a woman? What does it mean to feel like a man? And I went to an interesting workshop Um, and they broke it down by language, right? So cisgender is meaning that you identify your gender and it matches the sex that you were assigned at birth. So if you're born and the doctor stamps your, you know, birth certificate and says, this is a female. If you are cisgendered, then your gender identity is female. So they match up. Mm-hmm. So the root of cisgender is cis, like a system. It's working together. And oh, no one ever explained that identity. term
0: to me before. I heard cis, but I didn't know that. That's a great way to remember it. Okay, continue.
1: Yeah, like a system. Yeah. Like they're working together. Yeah. Yep. And transgender would mean, again, the opposite, right? Like stamped your uh, birth certificate to say female. But you believe your gender identity, how you feel inside and how you want to express yourself to the outside, is male. Trans means, like, going the opposite way, like transit. Trains go the opposite way on tracks when they pass each other. So it's that they're working opposite. So sex assigned at birth is different than how you identify your gender.
0: Okay. That's a, very, very well put, Jamie. I think you should be giving a workshop on this. You just explained <laughs> that beautifully. I would love to day Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so that's how that works, and you know, people can be non-binary, um, which just means that they don't feel like they fit either of those sides. So when people say there are only two genders, no, there are two actually not even two sexes because there's intersex so but people if you really want like the older generations like you're speaking of if you want to break it down sure you can validate for them that there are two sexes right because there's only two options when babies are born even if that baby is intersex they usually choose one or the other for that baby because that baby can't make decisions for themselves yet but non-binary just means i don't feel like I fit into what the expectations of a woman are, and I don't feel like I fit the expectations of what a man is. Is that the way you felt? I felt that I fit more of the expectations and that my desire was more to be a boy Mm -hmm. when I was younger, and a man as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there was a tricky in-between. Like I was saying, it was difficult coming out as a lesbian in college, it was difficult coming out as trans. I had felt like I already kind of did this. I keep throwing wrenches into things. How do I do this like as a slow progression to make other people feel more
0: comfortable? Um, That's Um, interesting. So you really, that sounds like you were a little bit more concerned about how the people close to you would be able to integrate
1: this into their own psyches. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Because like you're saying, it's hard, especially for like the older generations and like what I was saying about my parents of like not having anything further than a high school education and, you know, really staying within a small circle of friends and, um, you know, all of their friends from high school are married to like each other and we're, it's a, it's a great group, you know, and they're, they have deep rooted friendships, but it's, it was hard mm-hmm. to explain those things to my family and then like not being able to comprehend like what the difference is and how it works. Cause it really is complicated and intricate, um, and going to like workshops, even as part somebody who's in the LGBTQ community, it's like, I learn a lot at those workshops because even though I'm part of the community, I don't know everything. Sure. Um, you're lear- you're it's learning. It's important to keep you're learning. You're
0: learning all the time, um,
1: right?
0: Jamie, I want to want to go back to something. So I'm really curious about what what forum or what vehicle did you use to help to educate not only your parents but your relatives, um, aunts and uncles. You know, people of an older generation, a little bit more conservative. Um, how did you, how did you open this up so that there could be discussion about it?
1: hmm Yeah, absolutely. I did a lot of work with my therapist before saying anything. Mm-hmm. It was definitely, I had come out to friends, um, and my partner way before I came out to my family. So I started, like I said, I started my transition in March by starting testosterone. But the process had started before mm-hmm. that, right? I was going to therapy, I was having conversations, I was talking to my friends. Um, and a lot of my friends went to Ithaca or you know have college educations and are living in large cities that are LGBTQ friendly. Um, so they knew a lot. So I got a lot of support and validation from them. And I think that's what I needed to take that next step is I needed to know that I had people in my corner already. Because you know, talking about resiliency and overcoming things. When I came out as a lesbian in college, it really went quite poorly. And I was afraid that I would, again, kind of be in that space of, like a really difficult space with my family. It was tense, it was uncomfortable. Um So I really needed to know that I had people in my corner before kind of taking this step mm-hmm. again. And I worked with my therapist who came up with really awesome ideas, too, of, you know, write something out. We, we worked on it together and have included in there resources yeah, already. Oh, that's wonderful. Find a, good, yeah. find a good TED Talk. Find a good resource. Find a good website. Mm-hmm. Find a good – find a resource group for parents. You know, like, give them the tools that they need to be successful and work with you through this. Um And support you through this so that's what I did and I wrote out a message and at the end of my message I said I don't even want you to reply right away I want you to take a look at these resources do some exploration on your own so that we can have a conversation about it when we're ready Um, and it's still work Um, you know it's been a few months and it's still work on pronouns you know we talked a little bit and it was like if i use the wrong wrong pronoun please correct me or i will correct myself and move forward um and so it's still a learning process um it's still i'm not sure to be totally honest how much my aunts and uncles and cousins really know um because of the pandemic i'm sure that's thrown a wrench into things i haven't seen anybody i haven't talked to anybody um I'm sure they see things on Facebook and I haven't heard anything negative or seen anything negative but you know some of my aunts and uncles did, um, I did a fundraiser for top surgery because it can be quite expensive and is not yet covered by insurance and is still technically what insurance would call an elective procedure. Um, A lot of my family members donated to my GoFundMe. so I did feel some support in that way, but I haven't had a lot of conversation It's a
0: process. With them. Yeah, it's a true, yeah. it's
1: a real process for everyone.
0: I think, you know, when people go through any kind of transition, major transition in their life, I mean, this is very dramatic, but you know, when people get divorced or people have babies, you know, things that are considered much more of the the norm, it, it changes family dynamics um, mm-hmm. and People don't even realize that the extended family has to adjust dramatically to new statuses and new people coming in and out of the families and and all that. Mm-hmm. So this is this is um, you know, this is very normal in a sense with a very mm-hmm. unusual um, type of transition. Now, Jamie, um, we're going to be running out of time soon. I I just wanted to ask you something very specific. Um, do you do you get tired of answering questions or explaining yourself or is this something that you view as well you're enlightening people and you have you know you have a job here to raise the level of awareness Um, how do you feel about that
1: yeah it's definitely a balance and again like I was saying working with my therapist with my parents um, it's it's a balance right I have opened the door for them. If they want to ask questions, I give them, and other people too, not just my parents and families, but Mm -hmm. other people in life, the door is open. If you want to step in and ask questions and feel like, hey, you know, Jamie can really educate and enlighten me and I have a question and I feel safe going to him and asking, the door is open for communication. The only thing that I would say is you have to balance with that is that it's not your responsibility to take care of other people's reactions. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. So my parents, I've opened the door to ask questions, but if they come and it becomes a tense conversation of, Hmm, you know, you just don't seem to be understanding this or like, I can understand that this is difficult for you. It's not my responsibility to Carry those feelings for very. You. That's very.
0: Those good. are things.
1: That's a, that's a codependent. Those are things that they need.
0: That's to do. a codependent right. reaction, and you're really clear about your boundaries.
1: It sounds like yeah. You know. Right, and and that's when I say, here are those resources mm-hmm. again that I've offered mm-hmm. you. You know, mom, if you're having a difficult time understanding this or using pronouns, or you want a resource to talk about the difficult aspects of this, like I don't want to carry that burden i don't want to hear how difficult it is for you i can validate that it's difficult and that it's a transition for everybody but it's damaging to tell somebody else you know like that this is hard or it isn't it's just not healthy right Right. i I mean you know
0: this is this is a huge issue for people in general in their lives it's creating boundaries with their parents and Mm -hmm. uh even just anyone who feels that they have the right to dictate or tell them what to do. So I imagine this is particularly um, challenging and big, but Jamie, you are so articulate. I hope that we could do a part two of this podcast because I think there's so much more that you have to teach us. And, um, and just your story is so impactful so i I really appreciate you coming on is there is there one last thing that you might want to convey
1: yeah i mean i would love to do a part two i told your daughter maddie in my feedback that you know like you wish you were saying about impacting people and enlightening people um if one person listens to this and says that they can see themselves or they hear themselves or they identify with a part of my story that's where that impact is. It only needs to be one person. And I've had those people in my life that I've seen. And I'm like, I can do that. I can be that because you did that. And so I would love to do a part two. I'm open to questions. Like I said, I'm a relatively open book. Um, I always tell people if their question is inappropriate. (laughs) So, you know, there's boundaries to be had, but uh, open to doing a part two enlightening people, educating people, asking questions. It it really doesn't deter me. At Thank all.
0: you, Jamie. Um, I, I really have enjoyed listening to your story and um, you're very articulate and we'll we'll be in touch to um, schedule another interview with you. And I just want to remind our audience that this is Tamini in Motion. Uh, we can be found on Spotify. Please take a listen. And on Instagram, we're at T underscore motion, nine, the number nine. And um, I'm thrilled to hear feedback from anybody and everybody. And uh, if there's anybody who has a wonderful comeback story or a story of resilience, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm I'm always interested in new stories and and, um, welcome that. So thank you again, Jamie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Instagram at T underscore motion, the number nine, or anywhere that you might subscribe to your podcast at Tamini in motion.